Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Jordan Pacheco from the Glad Chad Podcast, and I have a doozy of a topic today. So, right now in Colorado, if you want to make a new driver's license uh, appointment, if you are a new resident moving into the state, you need to make an appointment. Okay, well that's business as usual. Usually you think, well they accept walk-ins too. That's not the case. So my fiance is trying to apply for her full residency, her new driver's license that totally makes her Coloradan. And so we're looking at the wait times all over Denver and the surrounding areas. And these appointments guys are pushed back apparently until, if you're lucky, late March, if you're normal, April. I mean, Everywhere in the Denver metro area, there is not a vacant seat in the joint. And what's very funny about this is that the bureaucracy of the uh, of the DMV was already so much of a freaking thing to get through. And now on top of it, they added this completely arbitrary because of COVID reason for not being able to do jobs functionally. So what you're left with is if somebody, say, needs a new license or their stuff expires or they need to go into the DMV, they're looking at waiting up to a quarter of a year of not getting anything done. Now we have found a solution and that lays in La Junta, Colorado, which is 169 miles away from Parker where I live. So we're gonna prepare a day expedition because obviously some things are just way too fun to pass up. And so as you can imagine, it's kind of frustrating looking at all the times and none of them being available and you already go to the DMV and it's such a nightmare and such a hassle. And it's always been that way. There has never been a positive DMV story long-term. We know that going there is a remnant of the Soviet Union. And it got me thinking that the DMV has been mediocre throughout its entirety of its history. Now, this makes sense. It's a government-run institution, but still, mediocrity nonetheless. And so, of course, I was ranting and raving and pretty mad about it. I just got back from the gym, so I've cooled off a bit. But still, that mediocrity persists. And it's not just in government offices or government officials. So I wanted to read from the Bible because the Bible speaks very clear about this. I remember when I was a teenager going through the Bible, I was trying to read it cover to cover. Really, I read all of the New Testament and probably about a quarter of the Old Testament. So I'm still working my way through. But I'm reminded of something in Revelations chapter 3, starting in verse 15. So this is what it says. This is my English Standard Version Catholic edition uh, from the Augustine Institute. So it goes, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. And that's an extraordinarily violent thinking image. But the funny thing is that if we go to the handy dandy dure, it's even more profound because in verse 16 of the dure, the words of the Lord say, because, uh, but because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will begin to vomit thee from my mouth. So if you look at the actual word there in Latin, it means to vomit forth. Um, a common way I think of the phrase is be you hot, be you cold, be you lukewarm. I will chew you up and spit you out, says the Lord. And so from this verse, we glimpse that the Lord has this real vendetta against mediocrity. And we are in a culture and in a world that's surrounded by mediocrity. The DMV has always been mediocre, but so many other things have been. People stuck in dead-end jobs that they hate, not spending enough time with their wife and kids, having a horrid cultivated prayer life, you name it. A culture that celebrates mediocrity. Mediocrity in dress, mediocrity in speech, mediocrity in advancement, mediocrity in the spiritual life, 
mediocrity in food, in media that we consume, mediocrity in music, certainly, mediocrity everywhere. And if you don't want to be mediocre, you're seen as weird. It's not a lift to aspire to. It is a weird thing that only strange people want to do. And so much of this has also hit into the life of the church. For the past, well, forever, I mean, there's always been a strain of mediocrity because some humans are mediocre, sure. But there's been the celebration of mediocrity in the church at large, especially now in the time of COVID. The fact of the matter is that most priests, most bishops have demonstrated by the virtue of keeping their parishes closed and not administering the sacraments that to be the cafeteria Catholic, to be the cradle Catholic that doesn't know much about the faith, that doesn't get nourished by the sacraments, that doesn't get nourished from the pulpit, that doesn't get nourished from the church itself, is acceptable. Keep your dispensation. It's all right. How many times have we had mediocre prayer lives, for heaven's sake? And how many times have we been encouraged that having a mediocre prayer life is normal? It's okay. I mean, I've had homilies before where we hear, on one hand, that it's wonderful to think that every uh, saint has a future, every sinner has a past, and you can be a saint, you should aspire to sainthood. But then to tell us that, oh, it's okay, you know, we're all good people here sitting in the pews, and so if you decide to, oh, you drank a little bit too much on the weekends, or, you know, you look at pornography, and you neglect your wife, your children, your fiance, whatever it is, oh, that's perfectly acceptable because God still loves you. Well, it's true. God still loves you no matter what your sins are. God loves you no matter what your mediocrities are. But because he loves you, like any good father, he calls you to be better than you yourself think you can be. One thing in my formation for marriage in my pre-cana classes is I'm learning how to become a good husband and a good father. So throughout this Lent, I have been doing the consecration uh, to St. Joseph. This one is by Father uh, Don Calloway, who I'm very fond of. He was a priest who had the whole sex, drugs, rock and roll lifestyle. He turned back. He was immensely popular to read and to be inspired by, especially in the Let's see, I was a boy when I heard of him, so that must have been the early to mid-2000s. Very much in that circle of really good Steve Ray, Patrick Madrid, Catholic Answer Day, Scott Hahn, the whole Lighthouse Media Carousel Compendium, Father Calais was my guy. And so I'm learning from St. Joseph's example how to not be a mediocre in this world. I'm learning how to cultivate a life of spiritual devotion to our Lord and Our Lady. I'm learning how to take my sufferings. I'm learning how to be, most importantly, I'm learning how to be a good father and a great husband to my fiance. We have 100 days to go, and I'm using this Lent, really, to shed myself of any iniquities that I have, any failings, and it's really, really hard. And I've noticed for myself where I've been mediocre. If you look at any of my libraries, you will see a lot of histories about the church, a lot of apologetics, and I love that stuff. I, I live off that. But it's always been very difficult for me to cultivate a meaningful prayer life. And that's a mediocrity that I can't afford. If you want to get to heaven, you have to really work on it. And with the grace of God, of course. So part of what I've been doing in the mornings is I've been reading the Consecration of St. Joseph. And Father Calloway also has these very helpful um, passages throughout history that speak about the power of St. Joseph. He is the intercessor of fathers. He is the protector of virgins. His favorite title, my favorite title for him is terror of demons. And aside from that, he is just such a good spiritual patronage of what fatherhood means and defender of the church of the masculine variety. So there's no honor being taken away from our Lord, of course, to say that his parents have done well, and there's no honor being taken away from our lady. But part of what I'm trying to do is not to be a mediocrity. All I see in our world is this great celebration of it. 
all I see in our own lives is great celebration of it. If you work hard, you eat right, you pray right, you try to do those things, you will have enemies come at you. And sometimes the enemies say, why are you doing this all? Isn't it meaningless? This is the problem when we live in a secularized society, a society that fundamentally believes in nothing but the material, a materialist society. Pope Benedict during his reign said that a moral relativism was the greatest dangers of our society nowadays. It was a extraordinarily potent strain of modernism. And that relativism is completely correct. You see it everywhere. Oh, you do this, that's good for you. But I'm going to do this, I'm good for you. And in the church especially, it's absolutely disgusting. On one hand, you have priests who will give you the truth of the Catholic faith. And they will be passionate about it and they will love the Lord and they will teach you in order to get your souls to heaven. That is their prerogative as our shepherds. You have lady in the pews who want to love the Lord, to serve him, to bring Christ to their family, to their loved ones, to their strangers, to their co-workers. And they work so hard to do so. And it doesn't mean that these people are saints. In fact, far from it. Because the more devoted you get into Christ, the deeper you get into the tradition of the faith, the more you realize your own faults, your own sins. That's why it might be surprising for somebody who's new at the traditional Latin Mass to see just how huge the line for confession is. Now, meanwhile, let's contrast this with, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum. And this case of mediocrity, it's not all just Novus Ordo and TLM. I understand that. But there is this great essence of mediocrity that we pressed upon and we've moved into our liturgy, where if the choir can't really sing, that's good enough. If the priest forgets a part of the mass, part of the canon or something, Oh, that's okay. If we applause after everything, if we sing happy birthday to the new members of the congregation, if we have our pantsuited harpy ladies get up and be lectors and Eucharistic ministers and all this other kind of stuff, this is okay. This is acceptable. Why would you want to rock the boat? And a very um, popular um, Catholic commentator on one of his videos was talking about how to get the youth back into church, which is a really tricky question anyway, I mean, not really if you're a traditionalist, if you ask me, but is furthermore exacerbated by the fact that we're in the times of COVID because deliberately so many archdioceses have decided to shut their doors. They've decided to give this, oh, this is dispensation. Don't worry about the sacraments. You're fine. So while there are Catholics who aren't getting last rites, Catholics that haven't been to confession, never mind received the Eucharist in a year. Oh, it's okay. We could just override one of the precepts of the church. No biggie because of the fear of something. What we have demonstrated as a church is that if we have to decide between the health of our souls, our spirits, and the health, apparently, of our bodies, that there are plenty of prelates and plenty of lady who will choose their bodies. There are plenty of clerics and there are plenty of lady who will choose a material plane and as a process lose their soul. As the Bible says, what profiteth a man to have the whole world if he loses his soul? And so you can imagine what the comment section of this video said. It was just a bunch of people saying tradition orthodoxy the way that we've been doing things by mediocrity can't work anymore the mass has turned into a spectacle right pope benedict again talks about when we clap at mass how it's it's a sign that the holy spirit has left the building and i think that's completely true when we make the mass into a geriatric show of our own human triumphs and everything we completely lose what the essence of liturgy really means and that's why as Catholics, when you discover the deep richness of the faith, one thing that you'll be really surprised by is the amount of silence, even in a high mass, the amount of silence, the amount of prayer and reverence and time to reflect. And you might be uncomfortable because it's the first time in church you've ever experienced this. You've been told your entire life, active participation. This is fine. This is cool. You know, why is the priest suddenly talking about abortion 
and hell and the intrinsic evil contraception? Why is he talking about guardian angels? Do we still really believe in that kind of stuff? No. What was the miracle of the fish? Oh, it wasn't that Jesus actually multiplied the, the loaves and the fish. It was that he taught them how to share because, of course, nobody knew how to do that before. And so, again, you imagine the comments were just screaming young people, people like you, people like Rudy, people like myself who were like, listen, the fact of the matter is that we have the reports, we have the showing, people really, really want Jesus and not the watered down version of Jesus that they get. They want the full authentic Jesus and they want the full authentic church, not a watered down quasi false Protestant church that has a sacrament. They want a real authentic dive into Catholicism. And this commentator's point, he was saying, well, in my diocese, only a few, you know, we have a lot in mass in places and a few hundred people attend. And this is a diocese of 5 million. And another commentator made an interesting point. How many in that archdiocese of 5 million agree with church teaching? How many in that 5 million ever go to confession? How many of those pray at home? How many of those 5 million encounter Christ on Sunday? Come on, man. You know that what most people experience on Sunday is a social theater for old people made up of liturgies that deviate from the norm established in Vatican II and the post-conciliar liturgical reform. Priests who are practically atheists, communion for all, but confession for few. Cliques run by blue-haired old ladies in pantsuits. It's also hollow and empty. It's not the same faith experienced by those few hundred good people who go to the Latin Mass. And the good people at your suburban parishes are there despite all the above. You admit yourself that your five million is diminishing, so something clearly isn't working. The Catholic Church loves numbers. It's wonderful, especially growing up when you realize it's a 2,000-year-old faith with over a billion adherents. But then you get a little bit older and you begin to see where we need to do as laity. I'm not saying it's all the bishops, all the priests. Obviously not. If there are one thing that came out of Vatican II that's really positive is I do fundamentally believe in the universal call to holiness. And I think that the Holy Spirit, in the wake of all this confusion and this time of tumult in the church, has used the laity in a really, really sharp way. The fact of the matter is that nowadays I can expect great orthodoxy from so many powerful apologists, so many powerful laity who are loving the Lord and trying to serve him in their ministries as best they can. And Rudy and I are hoping to add a little bit to that compendium, just, just a tiny bit for the glory of God. But we have to stop and realize something. 75% of Catholics do not believe in the real presence. They do not attend Mass. 50% of Catholics, self-proclaimed Catholics, support abortion, think that that is morally acceptable. Apparently, we have one in the White House who thinks this. 50% of Catholics, maybe even more now, actually support gay marriage. 50% of Catholics do not think that heaven and hell are really these tangible things to be feared. They do not fundamentally believe in extra ecclesia nolus salus. I've always said that a Catholic who disagrees with one of the fundamental teachings of the church is just a Protestant in denial. And so because I've lived in Los Angeles, and because I do have a heart for that city, I know that sometimes I like to badmouth it and bash it, but I've met so many wonderful people there and I've seen some of the best churches and I've really met good priests and good uh, laity. My heart breaks when I think about how many people every Sunday, if you can even get to Mass, are not experiencing Christ? Los Angeles in the Hispanic communities are filled with these new pop-up Pentecostal and evangelical churches. Filled to the room with Hispanics, ex-Catholics. Our, one of our ladies' dowries 
from the conversion of all those millions of people in Mexico at the time of Juan Diego, at the time that Christendom was rent in two by the Protestant revolution, devolution. And what does the church say about this? Of those 5 million self-proclaimed Catholics, if 75% do not go to mass, we are down to approximately 1.3 million. So this 5 million strong means that most of these people are playing with fire. They're playing with their souls, literally. And so out of this 1.3, potentially, who goes to mass, I don't know how regularly or how semi-regularly, but that they go, that's a positive thing. How many can't now because we've denied them in COVID? How many of them are frustrated by all these restrictions and the church treating them like they're nothing? How many of them are sick and tired? Or maybe they don't even have the gumption to be sick and tired of a mediocre homily where the priest tells them, which is true, that maybe God loves them, uh, but then says something terrible like, oh, perhaps we should consider the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, instead of in these terms as creator, sanctifier, and redeemer, because they're ancient ideas from the Bible. They don't really hold any water today. And that was a real thing. It's challenging. It's difficult. I don't mean to be so dark, but I'm so sick of a world of mediocrity. I'm so sick for the whole of culture, society, and parts of the church telling us we have to settle. I want the real deal, right? I want the authentic. I don't want the generic brand. I want the full-on flavor of Jesus. And there are different ways to get that in the faith, right? You can attend an Eastern liturgy. You can attend the Latin mass. There are great Novus Ordos out there. I've seen them. Shout out to Thomas Aquinas College. You so far have had the best one that I've ever seen. And I think that that's a godsend. But at the same time, there's some great realities that we have to face. And so during this Lent, you need to decide for yourself if you are done being a mediocre. You need to decide if you are going to be hot or cold. Look at the language that Christ evokes. Vomit. I will spit you out of my mouth. These, this language of, of chewing and food, right? And we think about when we have something that's lukewarm, right? Maybe you ever gone to a restaurant and you're really excited to eat and you get the plate and you're like, oh, this is just, oh, they just, oh, they're just phoned it in. There's, it's one thing if you can tell where someone stands, right? Which why be you cold. If you're like, I hate the faith, I'm out of it. Okay, good. I can see where you stand. You're not a body in the seat at this point. You've taken a stance against religion. I can understand that. I can base myself off of that a little easier. Or you're hot. You're on fire for the gospel. You love the Lord and you want to serve him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. And you want to spread the kingdom of God here on earth as best as you can. And you will be willing to die for the gospel message. But it's difficult, difficult to evangelize, not just to the nuns, but to those who are in the pews and don't realize that they've actually already left, if they've ever joined at all. I am a confirmation sponsor this year. And one thing that I'm trying to help my cousin go through is the fact that the book that they're teaching out of is mediocre. It forming poor Catholics. The stem of 75, 85, 90% of kids leaving after confirmation is not going to be stemmed whatsoever by this sort of teaching. Meanwhile, you cut back to the things that I didn't grow up with. Well, I did grow up with it, I suppose, but it wasn't in my time. Like the new St. Joseph Baltimore Catechism, right? The pictures that we all remember. And I was going through there and I was just reading it. And it's funny that those images stayed in my head 20 years after I'd first seen them. But it was the feeling and the taste. You can tell by those little catechisms 
the authentic flavor of the Catholic faith. And I'm not saying that things can't ever be updated, right, aesthetically at the very least uh, in these sorts of regards. But you really get a giant sense of the Catholic faith for being young. You get a sense that we were going into a faith with our eyes open and trusting in the Lord, and we knew what we were getting into. And so I feel like for a lot of Catholics who are just kind of wavering in their faith, the time of COVID hasn't helped. And many of them may have not gotten the authenticity of the Catholic faith to begin with. They may sit around and say, oh, there's no difference between Protestants and Catholics. And they may not know what the Eucharist really is. And they received poor catechesis and they've never seen a nun before. Well, none that wasn't wearing a pantsuit and was 80 years old. And they've never heard a Sanctus or an Agnus Dei. And they know once upon a time, back in the bad old days, that the Mass was in Latin and the priest turned his back on the people. But they don't know if the changes have suddenly made things good because there's no love of Holy Mother Church. And unfortunately, brothers and sisters, this is describing the majority of Catholics by statistics alone. 75% sitting in the pews right there. A lack of belief in the real presence. So this Lent, I challenge you. I have a challenge to every single person. And that is to deepen your walk with the Lord in the way that he's calling you to do. This might mean spiritual regimentation greater, right? I'm doing the consecration in the morning. Jen and I have a rosary at night. And it's it's no secular media. So it is uh, spiritual readings and listenings all throughout the day. Time of preparation. It may be calling you to greater servitude. It may be calling you to really finally dive deep and tackle a teaching of the church that you don't like or that you disagree with or you think you disagree with and realizing that you need to trust in God's wisdom and you need to trust the church's wisdom. This is the, the, the capital C church. This is the church that has spoken through the prophets and through Christ and has been guarded by the vicars of Christ, the popes, for 2,000 years. And so if you are a Catholic who's been away from the faith, it's time for you to come home. Do not waste your life in mediocrity. Because again, be you hot, be you cold, but be you lukewarm, Christ will chew you up and vomit you out. I'll see you next time. God bless you. May I keep you. Adios.